0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with
1: BYTE. Anytime that you prioritize someone else's feelings over your own, especially in breakups, you're saying their feelings matter more than yours.
0: It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost adulting. Are you ready? Hi, besties, and welcome to Almost Adulting, previously known as Too Tired to Be Crazy, with me, your host, your bestie, and your big sister, Violet Benson. Welcome to our Tuesday episode. If you're like, what? Am I on crack? No, not anymore. (laughs) I only did meth once, okay? Stop reminding me. You also are not hallucinating. This is a Tuesday episode, and that's because we are now entering the saga of the podcast where we are getting six episodes per month you're welcome so now it's going to be every thursday we have an episode and then every other tuesday and don't forget that we are now posting all the episodes on friday on youtube so you'll get to also watch me video so go ahead and subscribe on youtube to almost adulting podcast we are now entering the mental health month of the podcast welcome to may We are going to cover everything around mental health, whether it's breakups, dating, self-love, self-sabotage, boundaries, childhood trauma, being a childhood star with Bella Thorne, but that'll be the end of the month. Everything mental health, and we're going to grow together. This is going to be a journey for all of us, and I'm very, very excited for that today we have mark groves from create the love he's so amazing it's a two-part episode so you'll also get to have him on thursday today we are covering mental health after breakups how to set boundaries how to prioritize yourself how to find yourself after a breakup and how much time should you give yourself to get over a breakup and just prioritizing your healing it's honestly such a good episode today we will not have pop culture we're saving that for Thursday. But yeah, this week's episodes are phenomenal. I'm obsessed. He's amazing. And also you will be able to hear me on his podcast, I think on the 26th in two weeks. So very exciting stuff. And in case you missed last week's episode on Thursday, the episode was called I Don't Want to Be Sad Anymore. It's all about my battle six, seven years ago with clinical depression. How I was in my lowest points? How I got out of it how you can get out of it, or at least help yourself if you're currently going through it, you're not alone. And I also describe the differences between being sad, feeling depressed, and being depressed, because when you know those three differences, it actually makes the biggest difference in your life. It's different when I think I'm depressed versus when I realize I'm just feeling depressed. Why? Because when you're just feeling an emotion, it's passing, and you start to look back and you go, wait did I get out of bed today? Yes, I did. Or did I laugh today? I laughed two days ago. Okay, if I laughed two days ago, I, there's still hope I can laugh today. And those, it's those small little things in your brain that tell you, wait, there's hope. Maybe I will get better. So I don't know, I, in case you missed the episode, I highly recommend you go check it out. That's going to be the only episode this month where you will hear me cry. <laughs> and then the rest of it, it's all like self-help. But before we get this episode started, I wanted to give you guys a little little pep talk since i have nothing to update you on i'm wanting you to take a deep breath and i want to tell you that it's time to let go of all that baggage you're holding on to no one's going to tell you this but it's holding you back it's time for a fresh start but first you have to trust in yourself you have to believe That you deserve better. You have to start talking to yourself and about yourself like someone that you love. And we are going to learn that this month. You're never going to find happiness if you're going to keep searching for it in other people. Trust me, I know this from personal experience. You're just not. That's why you have to find it in yourself first. And loving yourself is a journey of a lifetime. It's not one day you wake up and you love yourself, it's every day you have to choose yourself. So, I don't know who needs to hear this, but repeat after me. I owe myself a huge apology for putting up with people who took advantage of me, for putting up with people who didn't deserve me just because I wanted to be loved. Now take a deep breath and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for not knowing any better until you knew better. And I want you to know that I think you're amazing. And I'm proud of you. I don't even need to meet you to know that you're amazing and to tell you that I'm proud of you because you made it this far and you're still here. And all those moments that you thought you couldn't survive, all those people you thought you couldn't live without, and look at you still breathing alive and well and thriving, may I add. You are so much stronger than you think you are. So don't ever, ever let anyone dim your light again better days are coming i promise you that but first it has to start with you i love you okay now let's get this episode started hi guys i'm val benson welcome to a brand new episode of almost adulting previously known as too tired to be crazy don't get mixed up i just got bored one day and changed the name so get used to it okay so if you've never heard of mark groves before i'm about to change your life but i literally doubt it if you've never heard of him come on let's be real um but you're gonna thank me for this so mark grove is a human connection specialist and creator of the hugely popular podcast create the love which i just went on and he's also been on my podcast previously mark ticks off every box on the to-do list of life and still felt unfulfilled Which is why he decided to get out of his comfort and security of his job to explore why people do the things that they do, and he became an expert in human connection. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I mean, I feel like I want you to write my intro all the time. That felt good. I I feel I got some expectations to live up to, but let's fucking (laughs) do it. Let's, Let's roll. And I love your new podcast name. Thank you. Let's be honest. That's what we're all trying to do. Like... Almost adult, and it's hard. It's Adulting's not easy.
0: No, it's not. Every time I think like I got it, I don't.
1: No, the cosmic two-by-four reminds us that we're always learning.
0: I know, it's so annoying. <laughs>
1: it really is. You know, it's it's interesting. I remember talking to a friend saying that, you know, I feel like every time I peel a new layer of the onion and I learn something and I think I, I'm getting it, It just like the onion stays the same size. And she said to me, maybe instead of thinking of it as an onion, think about every time you learn something, it actually adds a layer to your own expansion. So you get bigger as opposed to solving this thing that gets to a core or a solution, but that you take up more space, you have more awareness. And I I was like, oh, that's such a great reframe. It just changed the way I related to it.
0: I think about the purpose of life all the time and i think eventually you just have to kind of realize that no one knows what they're doing and that there's no it's not like levels in a game where you just can't wait to (laughs) to get to the 12th level and that's when you finish like the 12 levels when you die so i think in between you might as well just enjoy it and like i don't know i i feel like the more careless i am in a sense where things don't bother me as much the easier life just goes on
1: I totally agree. There's a book written by a woman named Bronnie Ware, and it's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And she was a palliative care nurse. And she saw what was the common things that people regretted when they were at death's door. And, you know, it's seemingly all emotional or relational things like, you know, people like no one gets to death's door and is like, I wish I worked harder. You know, we we wish we would have valued life more, relationships more, our own emotions, our own desires, our own needs. And I think what you're saying is important because it's like, as we get older, the amount of fucks we give goes down. And yeah. I think it's important to give some fucks, ones that matter. But, you know, it's like, if only we all had the same level of urgency in some way, because when you let's say you turn 40 and all of a sudden you're like, well, shit's real. You know, like I gotta choose relationships better. I'm under, you know, some people feel the pressure of a quote unquote biological clock. And it's like, imagine if we always operated with the standard that would be required to get to the place we wanna be, if we just always recognize that death is down the street. It always is. We just assume that if you're 30, you have, let's say 50 more years, but you don't know that but we operate as if we do and yeah. that's what keeps us stuck in these prisons of monotony in these prisons of fear of failure
0: yeah that's so true and we've talked about fear of failure but i think uh i think it is sad though that's only when people tend to be on their deathbed is when they usually tend to say i wish i loved more i wish i said i love you more yeah. to the people i care about and it's crazy how when you're our age, regardless if you're 15 or even when you're 55, you just assume you have so many more years to go. Yeah. So you're just like, I'll tell the person I love them tomorrow. Like, I don't have time right now. I just have to figure out my life or <laughs> I have so to true. do me or I have to like get that promotion. And then, and then tomorrow comes and you're just like, oh shit, this person, cause you know, it's really wild. Every single person in your life, you're going to have an interaction with them. That's going to be their last with them. We don't actually think about that, but every single person, there's going to be a last time you'll ever see them. And you don't know when that time is going to be. And that's a really wild thing to think about.
1: It is, but an important thing, you know, even as you said it, I haven't sat with that truth in a while, probably since the last time I heard it, which was a long time ago. I remember hearing a story about, uh, I forget his name, but he tells the story in his Ted talk. And it's about a brother and a sister that are on a train And the last time she sees her brother is yelling at him to put his shoes on. And and I believe that it's in the time of World War II in Germany. And the last interaction she had with her brother was kind of getting after him. And, you know, it makes you really just consider, like, as you said, every interaction is our last, as we know it, in that moment. And that shows you how important even repair is, or even boundaries are, like not keeping bullshit people in your life, and also repairing with people we've hurt that we've, you know, that we know there's unsaid things or unrealized or un things we haven't taken responsibility for yet. And it takes a brave and courageous heart to live that way. And I think, you know, One of the probably many purposes of life is to learn how to live with that level of humility, courage, and unconditional love. To love someone even who has an opposing view. I mean, that's maybe the most, the ultimate work. Not necessarily be in a relationship with that person, but still love them. Because all of us get to all of our perspectives from a place of love generally, unless we're psychopathic.
0: But Hmm. generally...
1: We do. And that's hard to do when you see someone, if you're left wing and you see someone who's right wing or, you know, like we have all these ways that we construct our own identities that try to keep us safe and also make the world a little more predictable. But I'd say in a lot of ways, it makes the world a little more complex and less humanizing.
0: Yeah, actually that makes me think of a while back for Thanksgiving, I went to my friend's house to spend Thanksgiving with her family. It was her parents there and her grandparents. And uh, I've only had one grandma growing up and then she passed away when I was around uh, 19 or 20. And we were very close and I never had a grandfather. I don't have grandparents. This isn't a soft story. No one needs to feel sorry for me, but just it's more of an interesting difference. So I get to see her have both of her grandparents and all that and then she was constantly getting irritated by her grandmother And stuff like that And I just kept looking And I was just like shocked And I was just like You know you should really appreciate The time that you have With your grandparents Like not everyone Is even going to have that opportunity But like in the moment Whatever they're saying is irritating But we don't realize that As parents get older And grandparents Their opinions will remain the same As we get older We stop changing It's harder for us to change It's the same thing With our parents and our grandparents They stop changing And we just have to accept them For who they are Because they don't have That much time left in this world But we don't realize that And I remember I was watching some interview and this guy made a really good point and he said like how old are your parents and uh the other guy's like let's say i don't know let's say they're 70 and then the guy goes okay so that means you have 10 more years with your parents how often do you see your parents and the guy's like twice a year so he's like okay so that means you only have 20 interactions With your parents. Put
1: it that way, right?
0: Exactly. You have 20 more interactions with your parents. You only have 20 more times to see them before they're gone. So when you put things in perspective in that way, you're like, oh my God, like 20 times, that's it. Like I'm going to make the most of it.
1: Yeah. When you think about it in that number, it makes you realize how important prioritizing those relationships is.
0: This month is all about mental health and one thing I feel like a lot of people don't talk about is a mental health after breakups. I feel like a lot of times you break up and people just expect you to be okay or let's say they give you like a few weeks to talk about or a month and then it's like you're supposed to be fine but you're not. So my question for you to start with is do you think there's a certain time limit that we should give ourselves to get over a relationship?
1: You know there's colloquial ideas that it takes a month for every year to your together to get over a relationship. Uh, I don't actually believe in timelines because I think what's important is one. It infers that if you think about your ex in the future, you're not over them, and you can think about someone and not want them back. You can miss someone and still be open to love with a new person. It's we've made all these rules about love and relationships and endings that don't serve us. So. I think my answer would be it's not time that matters as much as what you do with time. And if you're prioritizing your healing, which all breakups are always invitations to understand ourselves better. I know that I don't want to make light of the immense amount of grief and pain, that loss of a relationship, whether we left or we're the one left. All of it, serves us, it always does. Should we have left sooner? Should we have left if they left us? Where did we lose ourselves? All these are really important questions. And part of the mourning process, like when they look at the research and breakups, the same parts of our brains light up as when someone is a widow. So, and the same parts as cocaine addicts. So we're addicted to the idea of them, the story of them. And one of the things about pain and and suffering in general is that in a way it's kind of narcissistic. And what I mean by that is that it's, no one else would understand. No one else has been through this. We tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to pull ourselves away. What we really need is support. We need uh, love, we need comfort, we need to be heard. But we also need to be invited to continue to move forward. And I think one of the things that we don't generally do well in breakups is actually prioritize our own healing. Like if talking to them holds you back, You got to get up on it. You got to stop talking to them. If following them on social media or letting them follow you is derailing your healing, you have to, any time that you prioritize someone else's feelings over your own, especially in breakups, you're saying their feelings matter more than yours. Well, what a thing to learn through love leaving you because love actually didn't leave you. The relationship ended and love is still there. And even just understanding that is part of that process.
0: When people then are sitting and going through pictures of them and their partner, ex-partner together, or when they're stalking them just to feel that pain, we're going through withdrawals and we need our fix. And that's why we then need to go and we need to feel something. And then also why people walk around like constantly talking. I believe eventually you have to stop talking about them. And some people don't agree because we all have different ways of healing. But the reason I believe eventually you have to stop talking about this person is because a lot of times people will continue talking about their ex-partner because it's all they have left of that person. And if they stop talking right. about them, then they have nothing left. And once you have nothing left, then it's when you have to really realize and process, oh, it's over.
1: Yeah, you have to actually grieve it. And you're right. Yeah. That ruminating, that constant bringing it back up, we get to experience the love, even if it's lost. You know, there's uh, sort of like a phantom pain that exists in it. Often it's from childhood too, you know, that one of the ways we coped as children was to ruminate or is to hope for a different life, hope for possibility, hope for different parents, hope for more attuned parents. All of that stuff can be a learned behavior so that when we're actually going through feelings that we don't know how to sit with, we don't know how to grow from, we actually create other feelings that distract us from it. And you'll see this a lot with breakups. When someone doesn't know the value of a breakup, like, I got to know the deep transformative value of a breakup. And because of that, I don't try to save people from the breakups. I actually invite them to go deeper into them, to explore the grief, to be sober during the process. Because we try to save people from feelings we don't know how to sit in, that we don't know the value of. And so one of the things we all need to learn in breakups and it's informing our mental health too. The challenge from a mental health perspective is that we've taught people that being sad is wrong. That Mm -hmm. if you're sad, there's something wrong with you. As opposed to seeing emotions are just information. They're informing you about your circumstances, your environment. And we've created a hierarchy of emotions that things like joy, excitement, sexual excitement, gratitude, all of these are more important feelings and higher and more desirable than sadness, grief, anger. Again, obviously, we want to be in positive emotion more than what we would call negative emotion, but they are not positive or negative. They just are. And because our society has taught us that there's something wrong with you if you're sad or anxious, as opposed to what are you being taught? What, like, you know, if you're sad because someone has left you, what a thing to sit with. Why did they leave? What did I give them? What did I allow them to take? That actually belongs to me. That's why the process of even this idea of having a broken heart. I mean, I would say that a broken heart is not one that's sad, it's one that's not open.
0: Aw. Yeah, I agree. My mom recently taught me that as well, because I I used to have such a hard time when I would feel sadness. And then my mom, I agree with you, It's you kind of have to change your perspective. Like, sadness is just an emotion. It's part of the emotions that you go through. And it's kind of like the rain is so beautiful, but without rain, there's no sun. And it's the same thing in life. You kind of, I think, once you realize these are not bad emotions, and I also don't have to medicate myself or drink or use substances every time I feel not in my happiness, because you have to experience these other emotions in order to then enjoy or understand when you're feeling happy. Like, you have to date people that are not compatible with you in order to understand what you like, what you don't like, and then find the person that's compatible with you, and so on in life. But it's so much easier, I mean, even when we sit and talk about these things like me on your show it's so much it's so much easier to for me to be logical to be analytical to do all this research to understand this in my brain but when it comes to our heart and to our emotions it's just complete it's it's all you throw it through the door like that's it i i don't (laughs) think logically anymore you know
1: yeah. That's why when we're single, you know, we can have our, uh, our poop in a group as they say. And then when we start dating, we're like, I thought I figured that shit out. And then you realize that, you know, our, our pain occurs in relationship. That's where it's born generally. And that's where it gets healed. Like, Having a boundary around you that doesn't actually involve other people is not a boundary. It's a wall, you know, but boundaries are really about negotiating. It doesn't mean that the behavior itself is negotiable. Ultimately, boundaries are doors. They say, this is the way this is how to treat me. This is how we treat each other. But setting a boundary and then hearing the feedback on that boundary is a whole different thing than talking about having a boundary
0: yeah or like continuing with it like actually like this is my boundary and this i'm gonna stick to it like that's hard but that actually reminds me the other day i was hanging out with this guy and he comes to my house we we were just getting to know each other and i thought i picked this man randomly like It is not the normal type of guys I date because I didn't put too much thought into it. It was just someone randomly that was just visiting on a holiday. I'm somewhat emotionally unavailable. So I was like, instead of me picking men who are emotionally unavailable like me, I'll pick someone who's on vacation that's just visiting. Already, hello, hands. I pick someone who's unavailable. But still, I'm like, this is so random. He's he's going to be nothing like the guys I normally date i just know it so that was my brain thought then we sit we're hanging out he was like yeah i had some bad relationships i was like oh what did those girls tend to be goes i guess like normally i tend to date girls that i just always feel like i'm not good enough for them and they're always like running away the smallest thing and sometimes they get like mean because i feel like they don't want to talk about their feelings what about you and i go oh, I guess I normally tend to date guys that feel like they're not good enough for me. And then I'm always like, <laughs> feel like I'm running away. And then they always have to chase me. You're like, this is perfect. And then we just, <laughs> Literally, I was just like in shock. Cause I'm like, oh my God, we are both, we've-, we've both dated each other already, just in different bodies. Like this is, just- I <laughs> thought I really, really like went the other way, like pick someone completely different. And instead it was like the same guy. <laughs>
1: What a beautiful level of awareness, though, because like, although you're picking each other in a state where you're like a familiar archetype, you represent people that you've dated, you actually have the invitation to be different. You're both challenging each other in the same way, but you have the invitation to choose different behaviors. You know, even in, and I'm just really particular with language, because even when you say, I don't want to pick someone who's unavailable like me. By saying you're unavailable, you get to stay unavailable. You know, so it's actually really important that you say, I am actually available to love. And so I want to pick people who are available like me. Oh. Because if you say you're unavailable, then you get to be. You know, just, and you get to stay that way. And that's how languages can become a prison. Much like when someone says, I'm just not good at talking about how I feel. Bullshit. You just have patterns where communication has likely led to conflict and perhaps even trauma and big T, little t trauma. So I, I always invite people who say that to say, I am good at talking about how I feel. And then what would that demand of them? It would demand a whole different skill set. It re- Then it requires responsibility to the new identity. And you're so hyper aware of your own behaviors and your own thoughts and feelings that I know that You take hyper-responsibility too for when you're like, oh fuck, I just learned that thing and now I gotta do that thing. That's what I appreciate about you.
0: I do, but the problem with being so self-aware is the minute this person just told me he tends to go after women who are always running away and he has to chase them, accidentally that tells me, oh, you're telling me this is okay to continue this behavior, but B, in my brain, suddenly it's like that I'm not gonna be good enough if I just, actually be more loving so I have to be that person because that's what he's been drawn to that's what I'm gonna be because that's what's familiar and that part of me is what I dislike because I almost wish I wasn't so self-aware and also didn't do all that research to like know that oh I'm gonna have to mirror his ex-partners in order for him to like me like I wish I just wouldn't think so much you
1: know (laughs) but even in all that thought process what's beautiful about it and is necessary is that self-awareness always has to be coupled with self responsibility to stay in alignment with the integrity of your new knowledge. So, when you have self awareness that you have a pattern and you know another pattern is more helpful, then to stay in the old pattern is to not be in integrity with your new awareness. You have to make integrity with your wisdom more important than even just knowing something because knowing something and not doing something is useless. And yeah. I say that as someone who was very good at doing that previously, but I made a rule. That I would always live at my highest level of knowledge. That as soon as I learned something about a behavior of mine, I had to change it. Because if I wasn't changing, then I was doing the experience, the pain, the challenge a disservice. So the pain of dating someone who's familiar, dating someone unavailable, dating someone who's not good enough, the pain of that is actually inviting us to change and do a different pattern. And, you know, what a level of awareness, as I said at the beginning of, you recognize the type of woman he's attracted to, and you get to not be that woman, and you get to not try to protect him from his feelings. And then he has to become the type of man who can show up for the woman you actually are. Because what happens when we keep small or we stay in an old pattern is we're actually colluding with the other person in staying small too. We're part of it. We're colluding in their smallness. We're not trusting that they can hold more. And in doing that, they never have to. And neither do we. And so it can appear that it's them, but it's actually us too. And that is where the rubber hits the road
0: that's actually really interesting because then i stay in a familiar space my old pattern where i just get to run away and i enjoy someone chasing me he gets to stay in his old pattern and familiar space where he always chases me which actually means they were probably both a little bit emotionally unavailable because it's much more comfortable to chase after someone or run away from someone than to actually sit there and be like let's actually just be vulnerable with each other because you'll never reach that next level of getting to know each other the next level of being vulnerable to one another next level of having the opportunity to actually Get to know each other and then get hurt or maybe it'll work out like you don't get to that level because you're just playing mouse and cat the whole time
1: Yeah, which is familiar and it's a pattern from childhood and you know instead of I used to think That unavailability was about literally not being available to love like i'm not available for someone to love me I have a hard time receiving love Sure, that is true on sort of a pattern like level But what's really going on is that we don't trust love. We just don't trust it. Like you don't trust potentially in your previous patterns that if someone did show up for you, they'd show up. So it's easier to run from them because it gets to keep proving the story. And for this guy or he's just an archetype. So for the person who chases love and chooses people who are running, the story stays validated. No one chooses me. I'm not enough. So when we actually stop chasing people, we're forced to face people who actually stand in front of us and don't run. Now to change that pattern is a whole new thing. Much like if we stop running, we have to learn how to be with someone. And that's a whole different pattern. Both of them require the dissolution of old beliefs, but also a new version of us. Can I trust myself in love? Can I trust myself to have boundaries? Can I trust myself to communicate? Can I trust myself to say you're smothering me and I need space?
0: How do you go if you're the anxious attachment style or avoidant attachment style? That's how we describe both of us to then just being the secure attachment style where you're like, okay, that's an old pattern. Let me change that. Because, you know, even when you try to be that secure person where, okay, I'm not going to run away this time. Then the smallest thing they do, you're like, wait, they're not working on themselves. So like, wait, and then you just jump back to your old patterns. It's How do you get to that point where you just changed?
1: Well, it's not simply just logic. We all know things, but don't do things, right? And so I can know that I want a great relationship, but not choose one. And that's where you know that there's a deeper belief at play. So for someone who's anxious, who tends to chase love, who tends to be afraid of space, usually there's an abandonment rejection wound in there. And so for someone who's anxious, they're afraid of their being space. For someone who's avoidant, there's afraid of their not being space. And so both of them have an insecure relationship, an insecure attachment style. A secure attachment style, the definition of it is that my partner's needs matter as much as my own. Not more than my own, that would be more anxious. Not less than my own, that would be more avoidant. On a more deep level, though, so simply put, the way that someone anxious or avoidant, or both, because people can be both, the way that we become secure is we would ask ourselves, if I was secure, if I believed that I love myself, if I believed I was enough, what would I choose in this moment? What would I do? And we would do those behaviors. Now, again, that's, a, that's logical. That's like more here in your head. But on a deeper level, what's going on is that anxious people haven't learned how to self-regulate. So they haven't learned how to sit with space and emotions and sit with them themselves. And inner child work, they would say, like self-soothing, or even when parents are dealing with kids, teaching their kid how to self-soothe, how to soothe themselves. In an avoidant person, there's a fear of co-regulating, which means you and I being in a conversation and our nervous system syncing up, that we are co-regulating together the avoidant the anxious person uses other people and connections not in a bad way but that's how they regulate themselves is they must be in contact they send the text they chase they pursue because they can't sit in the stillness of themselves the person who's avoidant actually has a hard time being in relation to another person and so again like it's easy to say just you can literally just begin to change your behaviors by saying if i was enough If my partner's needs mattered as much as my own, what would I do? That's the logical part. But most of the time we actually need to learn how to observe our somatic, our body's response that says, oh, my God, there's not space here. And communicating what we need, which is so different. And learning how, because for someone who's avoidant, it's learning how to be in the presence of someone else's nervous system and be in connection and not lose ourselves
0: well plus like that your attachment styles are completely different with friends with family like i'm secure attachment style with my friends and with my family but i so agree with you like i recently was a bit in conflict with one of my good friends and i tried so hard to not hurt her feelings by not telling her that I felt suffocated so instead I was either being passive aggressive or just stop communicating like I just kind of went silent because that was yeah. me trying to avoid to hurt her feelings which actually hurt her feelings more until one right. day we sat down and I said look I'm not that bestie that likes to talk to a person every single day not just you anyone like I in my brain, like I need so much time alone in order to just function in this world, and it makes me feel bad about myself. Where I'm unable to provide you the need to talk FaceTime between two to five hours every day, because I feel like there's something wrong with me. Because you do that with your other friends, but like I can't do it. And then when I do it with you, I get it makes me bitter, and then it makes me like angry at you. And I don't know how to say. It. And she goes, "That's it. Just say it like that." And I'm like, "Really?" Right. And she goes, "Yeah." If she's like, V. I I have other people I can FaceTime with. I just assume you enjoyed it back. And I go, I don't. <laughs>
1: You're like, that's not my jam.
0: Yeah, and she was like, it hurts my feelings more when you just completely went silent on me and don't communicate versus just telling me, this is your boundary, like, that's fine. We can do other things. And I was like, oh, like that was way easier. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Well, we wanna take responsibility for the other person's feelings, right? Like we're putting their feelings or their possible hurt ahead of actually our needs. You know, and resentment, which is the feeling of doing the FaceTime call and then being like, fuck this bullshit. That feeling of resentment, resentment is 100% of the time a sign that you are prioritizing something or someone over you. And so resentment is actually one of the most important relational emotions because it's teaching us where our boundaries need to go and where we need to reclaim and rescue ourselves from relationships that actually we are currently self-abandoning for.
0: Yeah. So then speaking of actual relate, like dating relationships, a lot of times, I think when you break up, you feel like you lost yourself in that other person. You kind of forget that one point you were able to function without them. And you kind of, a lot of the time you're like, I don't know who I am. How do I begin? So how do we begin to find ourselves again? What would you say the trick is?
1: I mean, what a beautiful adventure. You know, I hear people all the time say, I don't know who I am without that person. Or I feel like, again, like I've lost a part of myself. That's why when someone leaves us and we feel that way, I know this is gonna sound trite, but in a way it's a gift, especially for someone who goes from relationship to relationship and doesn't know how to be alone. Like, we don't know who we are without other people, and we don't know our value just on our own. And we often place our value in being in a relationship, and we've shown that in society because we always ask people who are single, why are you single? So, like, there's something wrong with you. Just like if you go through a divorce or a breakup, we often criticize or question that person, as opposed to, like, why can't relational endings actually be successes? Why can't they be beautiful, transitionary, beautiful signs of love? Like, what a sign to love, to let go.
0: Because it's a feeling like I failed. Like, I was set to do this and I failed. What's wrong with me that I failed at this? Why could I make this work?
1: Because society taught us that that, that relational endings are failures, but they are not. They're not failures. Just like every ending is a beginning. And again, I know that sounds like some bumper sticker, but it's true, which is, If you're like, I don't know who I am without the other person, good. Like, go figure out who you are. That means that you've not known yourself separate from relationship. And the most healthy relationships in the world are relationships that not only have space, but honor the space for two individuals who are sovereign beings who take responsibility for their own feelings and their own behaviors and together as two individuals create something that is separate from themselves. And that actually is the ultimate act of relationship is to be two people and create this sacred space in between that actually celebrates the individuality of the two individuals. So if you're like, where do I even begin? Just begin there, begin at the question. Begin by reading books, begin by listening to podcasts like this, begin by going on adventures. If you're like, "Mm, I've, I've never gone for dinner by myself, go take yourself for dinner, especially if it's scary, then especially do that. Go to the movies by yourself, you know, like watch some Netflix by yourself, do whatever, cry by yourself. It doesn't matter, but find the adventure, find what lights you up, find where the joy is, follow the breadcrumbs.
0: Yeah. Learn to fall in love with yourself all over again. I mean, that's just, I think, the most beautiful part.
1: Yeah, and maybe for the first time.
0: Yeah, maybe for the first time, yeah. Right,
1: because if you don't love yourself and love who you're being, which means you have to love your choices, so you got to clean up all the choices that you don't love. If you don't love yourself and someone tells you that they love you, you won't believe them. And that's why the work is to discover, but not just self-love like bubble baths and fucking foot massages and shit. Not just that, because those are great. But actually admiring yourself, like actually building a beautiful, sacred relationship with yourself where you have reverence for yourself. And if someone comes into your life and that is your standard and they don't hold that standard, you won't keep them because it will require that you actually have to insult the relationship with yourself. And you'll have such a deep knowing because you're like, I love me. I treat me good. I have respect and admiration for myself. I treat myself with kindness. Someone comes in, treats you with disrespect, ghosts you. You're like, hell no. Like, I always just think ghosting is just the universe saving you from mediocrity. It's like someone dumping themselves for you. Like, what a beautiful thing. Better now than three years down the road, you know? And if it happened at three years, my heart goes out to you because it's an awful behavior. It's so discarding. And it says... More about them than it does about us. But because we think how people treat us in relationship is indicative of our value, that's not true. How people treat people in relationship is indicative of their value. And how they feel about themselves. Exactly. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: If I feel like shit about myself, I'm going to be shitty to you. Because I don't love myself. How can I love anyone else? And that's the problem. People always like, well, if I matter to this person, well... If I was worthy, they would love me. Like, that's your ego speaking. In reality, right. it has nothing to do with you. They don't love themselves. They don't know what they're doing. They're running because they haven't dealt with their childhood trauma, whatever it is. Like, it's their own thing. It's, and I agree with you. It's, it's kind of like when I, I was seeing some guy that I would speak so highly of him. And then I finally realized, like, oh, he doesn't believe that so of course he won't actually like take it in and think like oh yeah i'm sexy or like i'm hardworking because he doesn't believe it so of course the compliments don't mean anything to him and the cool thing about what we were just talking about is that with that same person i was like trying so hard i think to love the darkness in him or to really love the parts in him that were felt a bit broken and I'm like that those parts are the most lovable parts about you and it took me a second to take a step back and realize that oh those same parts this human has are actually The reason I'm trying so hard to love them in him, even though he never asked me for that, are actually because those same parts are inside of me and I hate those parts of me. And I Mm. won't love those parts of me. Yet I'm trying so hard to love them in someone else when instead Mm. I just need to take a step back and love those in myself. Because like, how can I sit there, try so hard to fix someone else and to love them when I won't even like look at those things inside of me? You know, it's kind of interesting.
1: I love your level of self-reflection and... Just your willingness to always be wide open with how you love and how you relate. Honestly, I think it's one of the most inspiring things about you. And that's
0: so nice. Thank you.
1: I'm serious, it, because in your willingness to do that, you humanize it for everybody, including myself. And
0: oh, expressing it, yeah,
1: yeah, I put just in by words. yes, and someone else goes, "Oh shit, me too." I and like, what a beautiful thing to be able to see what is seemingly unlovable in another person, and say that is actually lovable about you. And the thing though that is the catch to that is one, we can only remind them. We can only be the mirror, but they have to actually step into the truth of that. And if they don't step into the truth of that, and I make it my responsibility to convince them, I've already lost myself, because part of the hook of the relationship becomes that they need me to love those dark parts of themselves. So that they feel lovable and if they lose me, they might become controlling because if they lose me, they have to actually confront those things because they'll probably think those things are the reason we left. The other side of that is that in the invitation to explore that, like if we're in a relationship with someone who doesn't believe that they're worthy of us and they say to us, you could do so much better. I don't feel like I'm actually worthy of you. Yeah, what they're actually doing is creating a hook that makes you responsible for their unlovability. So we keep saying, no, you are enough. Like I'm just a reflection of you. And they go, no, 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 like this. But what they're actually doing is unconsciously being manipulative because they believe that you're gonna feel responsible for their feelings. Again, it's not malicious, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior that a child has that is how they kept the adult around or how they kept people around. And it's playing the martyr, it's playing the victim. And unfortunately, it can be incredibly empowering till it isn't because it's highly manipulative.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Exactly. It's kind of makes you then responsible for them. And it's a challenge to show them that they are good enough. So then you're going to start putting them above your feelings in order for them to. It's no, it's not okay. I completely agree with that.
1: And our growth On the other side of that, because people, you listening, might be like, fuck, I do that. Fuck that shit. I'm not doing it anymore. Our growth is not to do it. Our growth is to quit the addiction of trying to help save and rescue other people, much like people who are in relationship with addicts are constantly trying to save them, and the way to actually save them is to leave them or put boundaries in, so they have to save themselves so they can actually adult, almost adulting. And the other side of it is that... The people who are in relationship with people they're trying to save, their addiction is in the saving.
0: And so yeah.
1: it's about staying in their own fucking lane because they're overfunctioning and they're actually not in their own lane. They're not, their eyes aren't on their own paper. They're not staying in their own zone. They're actually taking responsibility for the world instead of taking full responsibility for themselves and who they choose because it's so easy to say to the world, I just love and love and love and I choose these people who can't show up for me. But you're choosing them. Yeah. Right? Me too. You know, that's the patterns that we have.
0: Well, it's because I think a lot of times people don't realize it's, it's from sitting on the internet and uh, hating on someone being like, well, I would never do that and like yeah. doing that. And same thing where when I am was chasing after that person to show how lovable they are is because it's so much easier to fix someone else or to help someone else sometimes than it is to actually sit down and be like, what if I actually worked on myself? Like, nah, I'd rather not. Let me just, you know, help this person instead. It's easier.
1: It totally is. And in the not chasing the unavailable or the not chasing the try to fix is we have to sit in a very uncomfortable space where someone comes towards us. And we have to alchemize or like in maybe another word, like transmute, but like sit in the space where Francis Weller or Carl Jung would say where you it cooks you. You have to sit there and then have someone come and meet you. And that is where the healing really is because we have to finally come to the realization that we are enough to be shown up for, too. Because often we're drawn to people, like aroused by people who are unavailable. And like we find them more attractive. We find, And that's because we're mistaking nervous system activation for arousal. We're mistaking unavailability which makes us uncertain or like they're not going to choose me this is a mystery blah blah for actually being aroused and attracted to that person
0: but it's also for some of us I think it's the feeling of familiar it's um, much more it's familiar for me to date someone that's a little unavailable because I won't actually have to get to know them I know it's not going to work out so I can be the
1: like your vacation guy
0: yeah (laughs) so I can be Uh, the drama queen. I can do, you know, feel the highs and the lows of love in a very short period of time.
1: I just can't see you like this. Whenever you talk about stuff like that, because my experience of you is so like, (laughs) you know, like the podcasts we've done and the conversations we've had. I do like I because we're in a friendship. I don't see that side of you. I have a hard time conceptualizing these versions of you. But as you said, (laughs) well, as you said, we can You know, we can have different attachment styles with different people, which it's like, wow, imagine if we just took the frameworks of like a friendship that we feel very regulated in and we said, okay, everybody I date is going to make me feel like that. And I'm going to make myself feel like with when I get around my mom, she's like my nervous system framework from my childhood. And she can often and mom, if you're listening, I love you. she, She can often be a little dysregulated and it's normal for me as the youngest to want to stop her from being dysregulated and that's where my pattern in adult relationships came from was that i would chase people who needed a little bit of regulation it was familiar for me to have to want to take responsibility for another person's feelings and try to make it so they were okay they were good and it's taken a lot of really beautiful self-awareness to be like That's their responsibility. I can just offer to be a space here, but I'm not gonna save them from it.
0: That's beautiful, I love that. I can definitely relate to what you're saying. So that's really cool. You are able to get to that journey in yourself.
1: I still think your mom needs a podcast because every time you reference her advice, I'm like, damn, mama.
0: My mother is literally so wise, it's insane. And it's what's the craziest thing is that growing up, I looked at my mother as weak and I, this is the complete honest truth. I looked at my mother as weak because she was so loving to me. When she felt something, she expressed it, like crying or sadness, happiness, all that. And I thought, what a weak lady. And then I looked Mm. at my father who was never around, did not get, I was constantly felt like I had to chase his love because I I was just always confused. Does he love me? Does he not? I don't understand because we don't have touch. We don't have communication where we say, I love you. We don't really talk he's around sometimes and then when he is he just kind of tells me be more like your sister you're it's not you're not good enough he's not a bad father for that that was his way of showing love where he showed up his love language was service and making sure there's a roof over our head so that's why he was traveling for work always making sure i'm doing good in school like if i had a project he would build the thing whatever it is that i needed so that was his way of showing up for me because he didn't get the emotional and, and physical type of love his father died when he was 17. And he always had to take care of his mother. So his way is, mm. was always to take care of people. So that was like the difference. And it was so crazy. I look at my father who never cried as the hero and had no emotions. Mm. Hero, brave, superhero. I want to be more like him and I want him to love me. And then my mother, so weak, always, like crying, loves me too much, suffocating. And it's so wild, like as you get older, now that I'm older, I look at my mother and I respect her so much and it's like, it was this weird change at one point that I realized that my dad is actually a little bit of the weak person.
1: Mm, as your values of what you value in a relationship has changed, that's beautiful.
0: As you and I have spoken, the dynamic with my father completely changed. My dad's yeah. so open with his emotions and feelings now, as open as we are as Russians. And now I look at my <laughs> mother, and I'm like, she's so strong. Like the things that my mother has gone through mm-hmm. on her own, you know, seeing someone like my father be was cold and you know didn't. As a man in Russia, he wasn't taught really to you know, be in tune with your feelings. Yeah. Seeing someone like my mother, who's gone through so much, her mother died when she was, I think, around 14 to cancer. Her dad left the kids for another woman, so they were basically orphans. In high school, her friends, when they would have uh, sleepovers, they would call their mom, and she was so embarrassed that she didn't have a mother, that she would fake pretend to call someone, oh, and she would just be like, hey mom, permission. Like. It's so sad. Then it didn't yeah. work out with her first husband because he was cheating on her. She had to move to a completely new... Like, my mom has gone through so much. And to see that woman still be so loving, so open to love and to give love and so open to always just being there for everyone, like, that's strength. Like, she had all the opportunities in her life to harden her heart. All the opportunities in the world. And she chose instead to continue keeping her heart open. Like Mm. you have to be so strong for that. You know?
1: You do. That is strength, right? Resilience and seeing the gift of heartbreak, seeing the gift of, which that's hard to do when people are going through pain, you know? But I think of my own life and all the things that taught me the most were the things that hurt the most. And- That's when we look back and we're like, wow, the lessons are really in those experiences. Not that there's not lessons in joy, sure, for presence and savoring, but the real lessons because pain is always informing us where we're not liberated, where we need more skills, where we need to open more. You know, friction is in and of itself puts on the brakes. You know, that's what friction is. And the brakes, much like a breakup, are always invitations to deepen our relationship with ourselves much like you know we're talking about mental health awareness month it's like that awareness of our mental health of instead of often being reactive to mental health we have to be proactive what makes us thrive we have to keep rituals of flourishing experiences